Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you this morning. We're going to jump and dive right in to the section of scripture today because we're going to get through all of chapter three today. That's a tall order if you've ever been here before. We're going to get through an entire chapter. We may have to miss lunch, right? That's okay. Hope you brought a snack. Those of you who signed up for 301, you get pizza right after this. So aren't you glad you signed up for that? The rest of you, I guess, should just have a big dinner. If you have your Bible, you can open up to um, Philippians chapter 3. If not, it'll be back here on the screen. I'm using a different translation than, you, uh, than we usually do, so you can just follow along on the screen if you'd like. But uh, the reason why we're going through the whole chapter is because Paul is going to go through pretty much the whole Christian life. He sets this problem up so we don't have to wonder what he's speaking about. Sometimes when we read through the Bible, we have to kind of guess or, you know, through research and we lean on scholars to say, here's probably the problem that Paul's speaking about, the thing that's going on. But in this section, he, he identifies it up front. Here's what we're dealing with. And he uses some strong language. I mean, Paul is worked up. He is fired up in this section because people are saying in order to be a Christian, in order to be saved, it's Jesus plus, right? It's Jesus plus this other thing. Here's what he says. He says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, remember he's in chains, he's in jail, he's locked up, not sure if he's going to die or not. He says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs. It's pretty rough, isn't it? Like you can say things like that. Yeah, just say you're quoting the Bible. Paul says things like this. He says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised in order to be saved. For we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. For we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. So Paul has some strong language, obviously, because the people that he's speaking against say, you need, to, you need Jesus in order to be saved. You need Jesus, his works, all of that, the cross, but you also have to be circumcised. Now, that sounds like a strange addition if you were going to put something to the faith, right? Like, what does circumcision have to do with it? But remember... For the Jewish people, circumcision was a sign of the covenant God made with Israel. So they were commanded before Jesus to be circumcised. It isn't something they just added on. It's something they were commanded to do to mark them out to be the people of God, to show this outward commitment. Now we have baptism for that. So they assume, well, this whole Christian thing, this whole movement started with the Jew Jewish Messiah. He came to the Jewish people. So we need to keep on doing this, this religious custom, this ritual that we grew up doing. And before we scoff at them, do we have any cultural or re re uh, ritualistic things that we grew up doing 
that we think need to stay around. That isn't commanded from God. And this was commanded from God. So we see the problem. They're like, well, this is what God told us to always do, so we must have to keep on doing it. But through Jesus, things have changed. The covenant changed. Remember, what we're gonna, when we do the Lord's Supper, this is the new covenant in his blood, in his body, and now we are baptized. So it's different now. So Paul says, it's no longer about those things. It's now relying on Jesus for everything. He says, we put no confidence, no confidence in human effort. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done. Look at verse four. He says, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, He says, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. You're like, Paul, wait, are you bragging? He's like, yep. Let me give you my resume. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who deemed the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was also zealous that I had harshly persecuted the church and for the righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He says, if you wanna put confidence in things done by human effort, I have more things to brag about. He's, here's what he's saying. He says, I have done all the religious, re, religious rituals. I, I've done this. The circumcision, I got it. I could brag about my ethnicity. I am from the nation of Israel. In fact, I could brag about my rank within the nation of Israel. I come from the tribe of, of Benjamin, the ones who were loyal to David when others weren't. I kept all the religious traditions. I was a Hebrew among Hebrews, Traditions, I check them all. I got it covered. He said, in fact, I was even more than that. I was a strict rule keeper. I was a Pharisee. So you want to talk about doing everything, checking all the boxes, making sure it all worked out? I had that covered. In fact, I was so passionate and zealous. People who opposed us, I dragged them off. I literally went after people who opposed our efforts and I was obedient to the law, he says, without fault. I have done it all. If there is someone who could be confident in their standing before God, it's me. I did it. I've been there, done it. But you see, Paul learned, and I hope we learn, no matter what you've done, when it comes to Christ and what he's done, there's nothing we can do to obtain what he has done for us. No matter how confident we are with how good we are, the religious boxes we check, we can never come to the level of Christ. So he says, all this stuff here, it means nothing now. Look what he says in verse seven. He says, I once though, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them, say it with me, worthless. Worthless, Paul? Yeah, I'll use even stronger language in a minute. Worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Anything else you wanna worry about, anything else you wanna focus on, anything else you think is important, it's all worthless compared to knowing Jesus Christ, his Lord. 
For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as... I mean, but Paul, you had to do a lot of work to get there. Your education, I mean, all the rituals, all the things. I mean, Paul, that was a lot of work. He says, yeah, compared to knowing Jesus, I just throw it out. It's garbage. So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. He's saying, I don't want anything to get in the way of my relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything is garbage. You see, Paul realized, and I hope we can realize, and we're learning more about this, that the most important thing in his life and in our life must be our intimacy with Jesus Christ. We must pursue this intimacy and relationship with Jesus. He realized all those other things he did that he relied on that made him a good person that led him to an area of independence where he thought what he did matter. He was good enough. He was experienced experienced stuff. He checked the right boxes. He said, no, no, no. I got to get rid of all that stuff that led me to independence. And I need to be dependent on Jesus Christ. Even though those things everybody thought made me great, even though I thought they made me great, they're worthless compared to knowing Jesus. So what was valuable to him now was simply his relationship with Jesus Christ. What he wants other people to value is not the rules, not the traditions, not check the box, not make sure everything's in line. He wants them to simply what? Know Jesus. You're like, yeah, but Brian, I mean, what? No, no, no. Knowing Jesus is what we are here for. Knowing Jesus is, should be our number one pursuit in this life. You see, all that other stuff we chase, you chase, I chase, all that other stuff that leads to make us feel good about ourselves, make us feel good about other people, all that other stuff that we think gives us value and importance, none of it matters when you compare it to Jesus Christ. Because through Jesus Christ, you were made right with God. Through Jesus Christ, check it out, you were elevated to the status of a son of God. What else can you do in life that gets you there? You're like, but Brian, I mean, I own a company. Yeah, I'm a child of God. I win. Like the status you obtain through Jesus Christ trumps everything else. You no longer need to work for that stuff. You no longer need to find value in that stuff. You realize that what Jesus has done elevates you to a higher status than you could ever obtain by trusting in him. You can't earn that. You can't buy that. He gives it away freely. Look at what he says. Second part of verse nine. He says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection of, excuse me, from the dead. We could spend a long time on this verse. I'll just highlight a couple of things. First, he realizes that no matter how righteous or no matter how good of a person he tries to be, he'll never be as good as Jesus. He'll never to be able to obtain what Jesus has done. And Jesus then offers us his righteousness. We're one with him. What's true of him then becomes true of us. So through our faith in Jesus, we say, I no longer need to do these things to be good. 
Jesus has already been good. Jesus has done everything perfect. I now trust in what he has done. The theological word for this, that this thing that makes us right with God is this word called justification. You see, the Bible presents there's a big problem in the world that sin has wrecked havoc. All of us participates in this sin. The Bible says, look, sin is real and evil is real. We forget this all the time. We think politicians or we think education or we think this other thing's gonna fix that problem. Has it worked yet, folks? It's not going to. And the Bible tells us why. Evil is real, sin is real. It's a big deal. And because of that sin, we have been separated from God. And no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard you try, you'll never be good enough. And if you're obsessed with being perfect, If you're obsessed with getting everything right, not failing, if you're obsessed with wanting everybody to think you just have it all together, well, what happens? You can't, right? So then you feel that weight and that pressure and it crushes you and destroys you because you think you're supposed to live up to this thing. You're supposed to be this thing. You're supposed to have it together. Everybody's supposed to look towards you, but it doesn't work. And that's what Paul is saying. I've done all that. It doesn't work. But rather than trying to do it on my own, I rest in Jesus Christ. And that crushing weight needs to point you to somebody better, to something better that is fully depending upon Jesus Christ, trusting in him. And through faith, we stop living independent, trying to earn our way and work our way. Rather, we depend upon him and we build that relationship with him and and we live through his power. You see, through the grace of God, we've been offered something so much better. It's recognizing that we can be saved from all of this stuff through Jesus Christ. And when we truly rely on Christ, when we depend upon him, when we build that relationship with him, right? Like when we talk about seeking intimacy with Jesus, it's reading his word, it's being prayerfully dependent, it's, it's worshiping him, right? Focusing on that relationship. When we actually do these things, Paul says he wants to know and experience the mighty power. You see, we think if we do this on our own, we'll have it figured out and maybe the money or the status or whatever will give us the power and the energy to keep going. But Paul said, no, 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 no. There's another power available for you. And it's not about you earning it. It's about you humbling yourself to get it. Like, what do you mean? What kind of power? Paul's like, yeah, just the mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Like, it's just that. I mean, no matter how much you work, no matter how much effort you put in, will you ever be able to raise someone from the dead? No, I mean, but like that's the power we have available when we depend upon Jesus. The power to get you through the day, the power to get you through that marriage, the power to get you through that week, the power to get you through those kids. My goodness, kids, I need some of that power. They might have to resurrect one of them from the dead sometimes in my house. But if you're going through this life, doing it on your own, Paul's like, look, I've already done it. It doesn't work. It's not going to work. You're gonna feel the crushing weight of it all and you're not gonna know what to do. So rather, when you go to Jesus, you give that up. You say, look, I'm not even gonna try. I'm gonna rest in you. I'm gonna put my faith in you. I'm gonna stop trying to be awesome. I'm gonna stop trying to be amazing. Of course, I wanna do my best. That's not what I'm saying. But that validation, that inside stuff, we say, I'm gonna get that from Jesus. 
I'm going to trust in him that what he says about me is true. And so then faith in Jesus Christ, we are declared righteous. And we can rest in his peace. We can rest in what he says about us. We can know we are valued and loved. We, all of that stuff comes through him. And we can keep pressing forward. Now all that stuff you're chasing, can it offer you that? Can it offer you a peace that surpasses all understanding? Can it offer you a point of view on life to where suffering, you understand it's normal, it's part of life? Now, does this mean, Brian, does this mean, okay, so if I give my life to Jesus Christ, I trust him, I stop chasing this stuff, I stop thinking that it's gonna bring me value and it's gonna make me important. Okay, I don't chase that, I chase Jesus, and yet I still do my life, yeah. Does that mean everything's gonna go good? Does that mean I'm gonna have this health and this wealth? Absolutely not. See, Paul says, and this is one of the, well, this is one of the main reasons, it's not the main reason, but it's a really, really important thing for me about, about Christianity and why I believe it's so true is because suffering is a big part of our faith. See, Christianity is like an adult faith. When you really get into it, it's saying, no, no, suffering is real. Christianity offers a very robust view of it. And Paul knows, and you need to know, that being a follower of Jesus means you are signing up to be a part of suffering. You're like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Me neither. I got it. I, I don't want to suffer either. But do you know people who don't follow Jesus who don't suffer? In other words, all humans suffer. It's part of being human. There's no way of getting out of it. Do you want to suffer for Jesus or suffer for yourself doing whatever else you think is going to make you happy, so on and so on, that's still going to lead to suffering? Either way, we're all going to deal with it. It's part of being human. The scriptures do not shy away from the fact they aren't naive about sin and evil. We shouldn't be surprised then about sin and evil. It shouldn't catch us off guard. We shouldn't think our country has finally figured it out. Now it's not going to be a new one. Folks, it's not going to happen. Evil is very real. The world is cursed. Does that catch God off surprise by surprise? No, he cursed it. He's not caught off guard by any of this. This isn't new to him. This isn't a shock. It's right there at the beginning of the Bible. And so let me just address this really quick in light of this war and everything else we're seeing in the world right now, it's all on our mind, evil and how can people do this stuff? I know the question maybe your friends have, maybe you have, we think, well, if there's a good God, if there's a good God, why would he allow evil? If there's a good God, why would he allow suffering and pain? Why doesn't he just do something about him? If there really is a good God, if that's what you tell me, then why doesn't he deal with this stuff? And lean in, this is something very important you need to pay attention to. God has done something about it. He came down in human form. He lived a perfect life, was beaten, was ridiculed, was mocked, was hung on a cross, bled out for you and for me. And then was put in a grave for three days, then he resurrected to usher in a new life. You say, well, Brian, that's not evil. Yeah, God's response to evil was to die for it and forgive it. And we're like, yeah, I know. Grace is amazing. 
God's response to evil was to die for it and forgive it. The evil you've done, the evil I've done, and the evil those people over there are doing. That is grace. And grace needs to blow your mind. Grace isn't just about forgiving that one little lie you told. Grace is about rescuing and redeeming mankind from all of our disgusting sin and evil. And he waits and he's waiting. He's offering forgiveness and love and mercy. And the church needs to respond and say, but God has done something. You mean God will forgive someone like that? Yes. Yeah, but I know I didn't, I didn't create this thing. He did. Like, I didn't, I didn't come up with this plan. God did. And I'm glad he did because I'm pretty messed up. How about y'all? Yeah, I'm pretty glad he did. He offers to forgive it. So Paul says, in light of God's grace, I want to know him. I want to know his power. And then he says in verse 12, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved things or that I have already reached perfection. He says, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Christ has possessed me. He's grabbed me up. He's snatched me from the pits of darkness and sin and despair. He, he snatched me up, so I want to possess. He possesses me, so I want to possess that perfection. Like I'm chasing after Christ. He says, and don't, don't misunderstand. I haven't figured this out. I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect. He says, I'm still working out my salvation with fear and trembling, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But the theological word for this one, we've talked about justification. Now he brings up this theological idea of sanctification. Justify saying that God declares us righteous. Sanctification says God declared us holy and good. We're a saint. But do you feel like a saint? Right, but he's declared it. So then we live progressive sanctification in light of what God has declared about us, we strive towards that goal to live what he says about us. So we strive to be holy. In light of God's amazing grace, we respond out of sheer love and because of his mercy, respect and all, we turn our lives over to him and we chase after Jesus because we cannot believe that he would offer forgiveness and his grace to save us and rescue us. Like, man, I'm, I'm chasing after him. Look what he says. He says, no, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. If you have your Bible, circle it. If you don't have your Bible, circle it in your mind, right? There's a circle. One thing, two things, note one, forget the past and look forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us, calling me, calling you. Paul says, I haven't arrived. I'm not done. I got personal work to do. I got the work of the Lord to do, making disciples. I mean, we got to keep going. We pause and go, but Paul, Paul, Paul. You've done so much. Paul, you led youth for a while. Paul, you, you led children's stuff. Paul, you even did VBS. I mean, you came all week for like three hours, Paul. I mean, Paul, you've done some amazing things. Paul, you were a deacon. Whew. Paul, you were on the board. Paul, you even helped with communion. Paul, you were a Sunday school teacher. You've done so much, Paul. He says, I haven't achieved it. I'm not, I'm not done. 
But rather than focusing on what I have done, I intentionally forget because we can cling to that stuff, can't we? And feel, whoo, look at what I've done. I'm so amazing and awesome and incredible. Well, maybe it's just me who thinks that way. I don't know, but I can cling to that stuff. Paul's like, put that behind you and focus on what needs to be done. He's captured by the grace of God, folks. And I'm gonna repeat myself because it's very important to know. He realizes he has done nothing to deserve the life that God's given him. He's done nothing to be rescued out of the despairs of sin and darkness. He can't earn it. So he says, I've done nothing to earn this life that God's given me. God's redeemed me. God set me free. I've done nothing to earn it. So now I'm going to give him my all because he's given it to me. He realizes my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price, he says. So I'm going to live for the mission of Jesus Christ. He wants to finish well. He wants to live this life that Jesus is calling me, you, all of us to. You see, our calling, his calling will be to make and mature followers of Jesus Christ. To continue to invest in other people for the glory of Jesus Christ. Like, yeah, but Brian, I know. But just remember his grace. There's still work to be done, not to earn our salvation, but in light of our salvation. Babies still need to be loved on. Children still need to learn. Students still need to know that adults care for them and love them. The Bible still needs to be taught in small groups in Sunday school. People still need to be greeted when they come through the doors. Marriages are still falling apart. Can you believe that? Those of you who are married, you're like, I absolutely can believe that. I, I do, I do understand that. They still need help. And the church has been way too silent about that stuff. Christians haven't been able to come to the church for help. We're gonna change that. People are still stuck in sin thinking there's no way out. People still need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not someone else's job to do. We don't pay me to do that. It's something that we all sign up to do when we become part of Jesus's church, his body, his people, and we all have a part to play. And look, I know some of you've been doing this for a long time, but I have a theory and here's my theory. My theory is that churches, not individuals, right? Cause you're not, you're not individually doing this. We are collectively doing this. This is a group effort. And my theory is that all churches are full of energy. Like, Brian, but we're older and we're tired. Like, I don't, I didn't say not, like some people, I get it. But churches in general are full of energy. Every single church is full of energy. We're just not using it the right way. You say, well, Brian, give me some examples. I don't understand. I'm glad you asked and we are on the same page. <laughs> Take the King James Version, for instance. The Bible. Some churches still think today that somehow a translation made in 1611 is holier than every other translation. I, I literally do not understand it. But they think that it's the best and authentic and that Paul and Jesus used it, even though it was created 1600 years after. Anyways, but they still really believe that this is it. This is the Bible you have to use. And it literally makes no sense. But here's my point. Imagine if they got fired up for the youth as much as they do about the King James Version Bible. You want to see that church come alive? Go tell them you're trained in translations. Y'all know those people, right? You've been at those churches. You've heard about it. We're going to change the translation of the Bible. They will get fired up. Energy will come out. Members will come from all over the world. You didn't even know you had. 
they will show up to talk about translation. She's like, boy, y'all are full of energy. Imagine if you cared that much about young people. Imagine what you could accomplish. But we're not one of those churches, right? It's fun to talk about those people over there. So let's bring it home. Take pews, for instance. I have noticed that we have some broken, damaged pews all around. And they keep breaking. So I started thinking, you know what? Maybe we should do something about that. Brian, you mean change the pews? Yep, that's what I'm talking about. Maybe we should change the pews. And I got some of you riled up over pews. I did. I got you riled up over pews. And I started thinking, when did a seat become holy? Like when was a seat that important? And as your pastor, one of your pastors here, I really want you to deal with this before you get to heaven. Because are you not gonna cross the threshold of heaven because there are no pews? See, Brian, how do you know heaven doesn't have pews? Because your house doesn't. They're uncomfortable. You don't watch TV on them. I know it's uncomfortable. I'm doing this on purpose. Stay with me. You don't have them in your house in your living room. You would not have them in your house in the living room. You're like, Brian, that's not very welcoming. I know. It isn't. Like, I agree. But yet, we get fired up about pews. All that energy you may feel about pews or Bible or pick another topic. What if you took all that energy you felt blood boiling up and you used it to share your faith? What if you allowed that to fire you up? Because if I had a meeting on Wednesday nights about pews, how many of you would be here? Don't raise your hands. How many of you would make sure you invite your family and friends out to come to talk about pews? I wouldn't laugh yet. But yet when Pastor Scott has a meeting here about teaching you how to share your faith, were you here? Did you call those same people and invite your family and friends to say, hey, sharing your faith is important, more important than pews, come out and talk about it. Our priorities are wrong, church. All of us get this way. Why is, seriously, you can send Scott all these emails. Scott loves reading emails. Send all your emails to him. But honestly, seriously, I want you to sit in this for a second. I want it to be uncomfortable just for a minute. We all have our issues. I do too. But why would we think that pews are more important than sharing our faith? Like when did the church come to this? Because it breaks my heart that we've prioritized and we focus and we spend energy on things that just don't matter. And I'm not making you feel bad. I don't want to make you feel bad for not being here on Wednesdays. You're busy. And I know many of you could care less what we sit on. But my point is this. There is so much work to be done. Paul says, I forget what used to be. I forget that stuff and I focus on what needs to be done. He intentionally focuses on things that matter. And so if your blood gets boiled up about, and you have all this energy about pews or organs or hymns or electric guitars or hats or dress or clothes, whatever it is, we all have our issues, I do too. If your blood gets boiled up about that, perhaps, just perhaps, you could readjust that 
and get fired up about Jesus Christ. Get fired up about his grace. Get fired up about people who don't know him. Because my thesis is churches have plenty of energy. We're just misusing it. And this week, I did it too. I was working on my sermon. I needed to work on my sermon. I had to get my sermon done. And then Scott didn't arrange his office the way I thought he needed to do it. This is a true story. And so then I get on Scott about arranging his office. And I'm fussing at Scott. And if you don't know Scott, so here's what happens. Y'all think I make this up. Me and Scott discuss something. We agree. And then he does the exact opposite. Every time. That's just what he does. And so we discussed this. We wanted to make some space for Bren. We were happy about it. And so we agreed. Then I came in. It was different. I was like, Scott, what are you doing? This is the morning time. Friday morning. I need to work with my servant. I got him. Then I was short with him. And then I got him riled up. Now he's distracted. We both have so many other things to do. And I just went in. I said, Scott. Dude, I am sorry. I wasted your time. I wasted my time. Like, I don't know. I should not care about the way your office is set up. I'm sorry. Right? Because that's what grown-ups do. They repent and apologize, don't they? Do they? <laughs> but I did. I said, dude, I'm sorry. I, I said, look, I'm in the middle of my sermon, and I just realized what I'm writing about, I'm doing right now. I was like, we, and I just said, I'm sorry, man. Like, I, this, is, this is ridiculous. And I walked out. And his office still isn't fixed. So I got, maybe Monday I'll work on it. I don't know. <laughs> He's supposed to like, oh, Brian's so humble. Let me fix my office for him. He did not take that hint at all. Anyways, but moving on. My, my point is, we have to be intentional because we can all get distracted. All of us. And we have a mission to do. Jesus is worth it. And so what Paul says next, I found so hilarious. If you've read Paul enough, you should find hilarious because he says all this stuff. I forget what I've used to. I'm like, Paul, what I mean? He's like, yeah, forget what you used to done. Forget about that stuff. And he says this, I wish I had these skills. Look at his next. He said, let all of us who are spiritually mature agree on these things. You catch it? If you're arguing, he's like, you're just immature. You're just, you just not as spiritual as me. Like, that's all it is. You just don't get it. He says, if you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. Like, do you catch that dig he's throwing there? Like, you got to understand, Paul's shutting it down. If you disagree with me, you're just not spiritually mature, and you need to go talk to God about it. Like, I'm thinking about using that line next deacon's meeting, right? Listen, if you don't, no, I'm just kidding. Our deacons are great here. I'm just playing around. But then he says, but... But we must hold on to the progress we've already made. He's saying, look, I'm right. This is, this is what Paul's saying here. He's literally saying, I'm right. I'm spiritually mature. If you gotta go work, talk to God about this stuff, go ahead. He says, but we gotta keep going with the progress. Meaning everything we've talked about, we gotta forget that stuff that we used to do. We gotta cling not to our works, but to Jesus Christ. We've come so far, he's saying in this chapter, we've explained salvation. We've explained what Jesus has done. We've come too far to keep going back. Let's just keep going forward. We gotta keep moving forward. Verse 17, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears, like his heart's broken, folks. His heart is broken for people who don't get this and we get caught up in silly things. He's saying, my, 
I say it again with tears in my eyes that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul's saying how we live matters. Follow me, pattern your life after me. We need to go from a place where we're just expressing faith to a place where we're living our faith out, where we're believing him, we're trusting him, we're so caught up in the grace of Jesus Christ, we realize that everything else is garbage. Paul's words, not mine. And with tears in his eyes, he's saying, guys, what bothers me is not what people say, but who's, what's this word? Conduct. Shows. They're enemies. Focused on the wrong things. They're talking about the wrong things. And he explains what it is. Verse 19. He says, they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. And it seems like Paul's describing those immoral pagans over, over there, right? Like those people who are doing that sinful party in life, like, you know, those people over there. But here's the thing. Who he's talking about here is the same people he talked about in verse two, the religious folks. And that has to hit hard. Because what they're worried about, what they're focusing on, he says, it's, it's not okay. You see, they're proud, these Judaizers, the people who are saying it's Jesus plus, they're proud and focused on food laws and circumcision. It became their God. And they're going around bragging about circumcision. And bear with me as I try to explain without explaining it. Because this is where they brag about shameful things. Because if circumcision doesn't matter anymore, they're going around talking about an appendage of their body and what's happened to it all the time. He said, if, if circumcision isn't a thing, then what you keep talking about and wanting other people to do, like, do you realize what you're consumed with, folks? It's like, that's shameful. Like, that appendage should not be the priority of your discussions. Y'all tracking with me? Just nod your head if you're Okay, I didn't want to go too deep into detail. I hope we could like with vague language get what was going on there. He's like, so you're bragging about this thing? Like, how about we, that's shameful. Shouldn't be talking about that part of your life. And this is where we have to pause and let scripture speak and the spirit speak to us. Paul isn't concerned about them thinking things were important because of some heritage value or something to be cherished because of their grandparents liked it. Like he gets heritage, he gets culture, he's, he grew up with it. His concern is they're putting these things above the message of grace. They're putting these things, these other things, above the message of salvation. They're getting more fired up about circumcision and dietary laws than they are the cross. They're getting more fired up about carpet and pews than they are the cross. I was like, no. no. No, you can't do that. We don't focus on the world here and now. They turn these religious things, these rituals, these traditions into gods. Paul says, no, no, we don't focus on life here on earth and that stuff. Verse 20. We are citizens of heaven. Where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. 
and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies, praise God for that, by the way. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power which he will bring everything under his control. As citizens of heaven, we need to focus on something different. We need to be kingdom-minded people, making and maturing, becoming and belonging to the kingdom of God. We must be willing to suffer and sacrifice. And I know those aren't popular words, but it's the way of the world. You're gonna suffer and you're gonna sacrifice for something. Paul says, lean into Jesus with that. And here we've already talked about sanctification. We've already talked about justification. Now he points to glorification. The end times, the day when Jesus will make our bodies new, he will resurrect them, he will bring us to life with him and we will spend eternity with him. And so when we come to the table this morning and we participate in communion and we remember the body that was literally, not figuratively broken for us, the blood that was literally poured out for us. I ask you, what do you need to repent from? You see, Paul tells us when we come to the table, we need to come with a good heart. And our communion table, the way we take it here is it's open. Anybody who's a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to be a member. You just have to have um, confessed that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And if you don't know what that means, just abstain from taking it with us. I just ask you to wait and we could talk about that later. But maybe for you, you put things above Jesus and you need to repent and respond today for that. Or maybe you just keep trying to be good and perfect and that weight of all that's crushing on you. Maybe today you need to respond and learn to depend upon Jesus rather than yourself. Maybe you're self-righteous and constantly looking at your works and your resume and what you've done, thinking that somehow that good person you've become has earned you something rather than trusting in Jesus. Or maybe, like me, you spend too much time worrying about things that does not matter. And we need to refocus and prioritize and forget that stuff. Or maybe you've just been self-reliant, trying to do it all on your own. Communion's the time we remember that his body was broken, his blood was shed. We're gonna do things a little differently. We're gonna let you pray and get your heart right with the Lord. Scott's gonna play a couple of verses of Amazing Grace. Then in the middle of that, we're gonna stand and sing the first three verses of Amazing Grace. Then I'm gonna come up and talk about communion. We're gonna take the elements and then we'll finish with the last two verses. I explain all that to you just so Scott and I are on the same page because I keep changing things on him. We good, Scott? We're good. So will you please take this time, remember what Christ has done and do your business with the Lord?